So God not only wants us to know our identity, he wants us to be secure and settled in our identity in Jesus Christ. And the reason why that's so important, especially when it comes to serving the Lord, is if you and I are not secure and settled in our identity in Jesus Christ, we truly will never serve the Lord as God created us to. And our service will certainly not be sustainable over the long haul for this reason. Any of us who put ourselves out there to serve the Lord in some capacity, to step out and to step forward in service for the Lord, we will be judged. We will be criticized. There will always be those, as they say, armchair quarterbacks who sit back and tell us how we should do it and, and all of that. If you are, and I are not secure in our identity in Jesus Christ, then we will say, no, nope, not for me. I'm, I'm going to avoid all the judgment and criticism. We're going to get to Paul here in just a minute, but let me say this, and I hope that this really settles into your heart and mind today, this statement that I'm going to make. Because I think many Christians, sometimes we don't consider this. Because if we truly considered this statement, maybe we would step out into service more. We would serve more. And this is the statement. You and I will be judged. Do you understand me? So why not be judged for doing something worthwhile with our life than for doing nothing at all? Because can I tell you, some Christians are like, I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to make myself vulnerable. I'm not going to put myself out there. I'm not going to step forward. I'm not going to step out. And that way I'll prevent all judgment and criticism. No. Do you not understand that you will be judged and criticized for doing nothing as much as you will for doing something? There is no human being that's going to go through life on earth, even if you do nothing, and not be criticized or judged for it in some way. So what Paul here is telling the Corinthians by way of his own example is, I had to come to a place in my life, Paul said, where I was secure in who God made me to be and what God called me to in my life because I was certainly going to be facing much judgment and criticism even from those in Corinth. Which was sort of sad because as we've learned throughout our study of the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul was the founding pastor of this church. In fact, if you go over to chapter 10, verse 14... Paul says, we were the first to reach as far as you with the gospel about Christ. They didn't even know Jesus Christ until Paul and his missionary team came along and planted this church in Corinth. Then in verse 15, he says, we hope that as your faith continues to grow, our work may be greatly expanded among you according to our limits. Why is Paul saying that? Well, Paul here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is defending his ministry to the Corinthians. He's not defending himself personally. He's defending his ministry. Why? Because God 
still wants to use him and his life and ministry to make an impact and to have influence in the Corinthian believers, in that Christian community there in Corinth. And, and if they shut him off, if they shut him down, then they're never going to profit or benefit from the ministry that they could have and should have through the Apostle Paul. So that's why he's defending his ministry here, not defending himself personally. And, and again, it's all about making sure that they are ready to receive. You say, well, what happened? Well, after Paul founded the church and got everything set up in leadership and pastored there for a while, God called him somewhere else. And after God called him somewhere else, there were people that came into the church at Corinth. Many of them ascended the leadership positions and they became very jealous and envious about Paul, if you will. And they began to undermine the ministry of Paul amongst the Corinthians. They, they began to diminish his ministry, saying it's not really... And, and then they began to say, Paul really wasn't that big of a deal. He wasn't that great. Don't listen to Paul anymore. And again, even though Paul wasn't in their midst... God wanted to use Paul and his life and ministry in their lives. And yet there were many in the church that was turning many in the church against Paul. That's what this whole chapter is about. So I want you to see how Paul handles it in order for us to be encouraged today. First of all, go down to verse 10. Because some say, oh my, there's always going to be people talking, isn't there? Some people are saying this about me. And sometimes the things that people say about us gets back to us like it did Paul. Sometimes it never gets back to us. But people will always talk. They always will. And Paul's saying, here's what they are saying about me. His letters are weighty and forceful, but his physical presence is weak and his speech is of no account. They're criticizing and judging Paul because Paul was not this imposing figure. He wasn't. What we gain from history is he was a very slight, frail-looking guy who had a lot of infirmities and, and, and wasn't going to be somebody that if he walked into the room, you know, would be like, whoa. No. And he wasn't, according to Scripture, this dynamic speaker that could just, you know, get up in front of people and just sort of captivate them by his sheer presence and his eloquence and all of that. That's not who Paul was. And so they're saying some, well, you know, Paul wasn't this and Paul wasn't that. He didn't have the flash of these other, you know, great people that have now come into the church at Corinth and are telling us, nah, don't listen to Paul anymore. Listen to us. And what's amazing to me is this all happened a couple thousand years ago, and yet it shows that human nature and human character has always been the same. It just, it sort of continues to be amplified over time. But 
Paul was suffering just like you and I suffer today from living in a world where there is the cult of personality, if you will. And, and because we live in a world of social media, especially, that's, again, been accentuated and amplified. We live in the cult of personality. And that sort of cult of personality has even crept into the church where we worship personality more than we do real substance. And you and I all know that there are people in this world who have become famous and become millionaires and billionaires, not based on anything they can really do, but just on their sheer personality alone. Because we worship personality, you know. And they did back then too. And basically what they're saying is, Paul, you just didn't have the stuff. You know, you didn't wow us, Paul, when you were in Corinth. So these other guys and gals that have come in after you, man, they've got it all. They got the flash and man, when they walk into the room, they just sort of take over and, and, and they're just this bombastic, you know, type of personality and man, we're just in love with them. We don't think you've got much to say. Well, Paul up in chapter 10, verse two says, you know what? You're considering us and our behavior according to your human standards. In fact, he says over in chapter 10, verse 12, these people are measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves with themselves, patting themselves on the back. They recommend themselves, verse 12, they're self-appointed. And then in verse 18, he says, it's not the person who commends himself or pats themselves on the back who is approved, but the person that the Lord commends. And he says, because of this call to personality, you are, you know, high-fiving each other and slapping each other on the back and patting yourself on the back and saying everything's okay. And you're dismissing those who are true servants of God simply because we don't live for the approval or praise of men. We live for the praise of God alone. And we're not going to get caught up in this cult of personality that has been created around us. In fact, in chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says, I, Paul, appeal to you personally by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Paul says, you want to criticize me for something? Then criticize me for being Christ-like because I didn't come at you as this, you know, again, obnoxious, bombastic, over-the-top person. I came to you at Corinth in meekness and in gentleness. And now you've rejected me because I came to you that way? Isn't that the way Jesus operated? And let's be clear about this. Being a meek person and being gentle is not meaning I'm weak. It doesn't mean you and I are weak. No one would accuse Jesus Christ of being weak. Meekness is simply power under control. And who better exemplified power under control than the almighty Lord of glory who has all power at his disposal. Yet he didn't come to just display his power and to just sort of drop people, you know, all over the place. 
He came in meekness. He came in gentleness. And he still does this day come that way to us and operate that way with us. I think we could sum up by just saying that Jesus Christ was a gentleman. A word we don't hear too much today. It wasn't that he was weak or not strong at all, but he was a gentleman. And that's okay. Because Paul says, if you're going to criticize me for being like our Lord Jesus Christ, I'll take that any day. Because I don't want to be coming across like these people that have infiltrated the church that are now turning you all against me simply because they've got a personality that maybe I don't have. In fact, notice too, Paul says in verse 4, he says, The weapons of our warfare are not human weapons, but are made powerful by God for tearing down strongholds. Paul was not only being criticized because of his meekness and of his gentleness, but he was being criticized because he didn't adopt all the the, uh, methods and methodologies of these other sort of false teachers. And, and people who were leading the call of personality. And he's trying to point out to Christians, we should never adopt the worldly methods and methodologies that may externally look like they work. And churches today have done it. Spiritual leaders do it all the time. They adopt market research and market analysis and, and all these different things. And they're all about events and, and, you know, the Barnum and Bailey circus and the bigger and the better and the smoke and the mirrors and this and that. And let's wow people and let's have a stage filled with all these special effects and let's get that out there and let's just wow people. What well, can I tell you? We have weapons in our spiritual life and spiritual warfare, and they're better than anything that man can come up with. Those weapons are praise, prayer, and the Word of God. And there is nothing in this earth that is stronger than praise, prayer, and the Word of God. They are what truly enters into people's hearts and can make a difference. Not all these worldly man-made things that have been adopted by Christians over the years. Again, because we want to be famous and and we want to be the personality and all of this. And that wasn't Paul. Paul said, I'm simply going to come in. I'm going to be who God created me to be. I'm going to be comfortable in my own skin. I am secure in who God made me to be and what God made me to be. And I'm going to come into your presence. I'm going to share what God has shared with me, the gifts, the talents, and the abilities, and the way God has led me to do it. And then I'm going to let God take it from there. But I'm not going to try to be what you want me to be. And I'm going to turn off those voices of criticism and judgment because they're always going to be there. But it's not going to prevent me from serving the way I know God wants me to serve. And in a sense, Paul's taking his own 
experience here with the Corinthians. And he's actually using it, I think, down through the years since then to encourage us to be like him and not to get caught up in what was happening as it was at the time at the church at Corinth. Notice in verse 7, he says, you're looking at outward appearances, external things, not the things that really matter or count. And then he says at the end of verse 7, just as he himself belongs to Christ, the person especially who's spearheading the criticism and judgment, so too do we. In other words, Paul's saying, aren't we on the same team here? If, if these people say that they belong to Jesus Christ, well, I do too. So why are we shooting our own in a sense? Why are we undermining each other here in our ministry? Aren't we all supposed to be working towards the same thing rather than criticizing and judging one another? And then I love what Paul goes on to say in verse 8. He says, Our authority that the Lord gave us for building you up and not for tearing you down. Paul says, Yes, God gave me authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ, but I have never used my authority in the church of Corinth to tear people down like I'm being torn down. I always used my authority, my position, my place with God to build other people up. And so I'm not going to get in this tit-for-tat with these people who are tearing me down. I'm simply going to point out there are differences. You compare. You contrast. You make your own judgments, Corinthians. Here it is laid out before you. It's really hard when you and I are stepping out and stepping forward for Jesus Christ and trying to serve Him in some way And we even hear, because again, let me just say this. Whatever criticism or judgment, like Paul, you hear back through the grapevine, oh, there's so much more you and I haven't heard, right? And the thing is, if you and I are not locked in to who we are in Jesus Christ, we will begin to allow those voices, if you will, to distract us from the work that God appointed us to do. In fact, Paul touches on this in verse 13. He says, But we will not boast beyond certain limits, but will confine our boasting according to the limits of the work to which God has appointed us that reaches even as far as you. And the reason why that phrase is important, the work that God appointed us to do, is isn't it true many times that the attack of the enemy is simply to distract us and get us off of what God called us to do? You might have 100 people, 99 of them praise you, tell you you're doing a good job. There's one out of 100 who says, nah, didn't like it. Who do you focus on? I know who you do because I do too. You focus on that one person. It gets under your skin, doesn't it? It doesn't matter how many people praise you. you And then here's what happens. Paul's saying, you know why that's, we got to get over that? Because he said all that time we're churning emotionally and burning up those emotional BTUs over that little bit of criticism over here. We are now being distracted from the work that God wants us to do. Read the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah and his group of, of leaders was there to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And what, did the, what was the enemy's thing? Criticism and judgment. 
and trying to get Nehemiah off the wall. Stop doing that work, Nehemiah. Come down and talk to us. Now, I'm not saying we should never take the invitation to talk to other people, but most of the time, it is not a pause that is orchestrated by God, that God wants the work to stop. Usually, it's an attack of the enemy that wants to distract us from what God's called us to do. And I love what Nehemiah said. He said, yeah, I can, I can hear you guys down there, but guess what? I'm not coming down because the work that I'm doing is more important than sitting here talking to you, wrangling over all these less important things. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> can I say, though, that's why the enemy uses criticism and judgment? That's why... The word devil literally means slanderer. Well, if, if our greatest spiritual enemy is basically named by character the slanderer, then we can pretty much expect other people to be joining in in that as well. Not so much to even oppose us personally as to oppose the work of God and what God is attempting to do and what God even wants to use your life and my life for in the influence and impact of other people. That's all Paul's saying here. He's saying, guys, God wants you to be open still to my ministry so that you can benefit and profit from, from me. But you're being turned against me by these other people. And I'm clearly showing you, yeah, there are differences. You make up your own mind, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to change. Because Paul is clearly saying, I'm secure in my identity in Jesus Christ. I know who I am. I know why I'm here. I know what God wants me to do. And I know even this, that I will be judged even for doing nothing. So I may as well live my life to do something worthwhile with my life and to affect eternity and to bring glory to Jesus Christ than to just pull back into my shell like a turtle and say to myself, well, if I don't ever do anything, then I can't be criticized for anything when we all know that even for doing nothing, you and I will be criticized and judged for it. Look at verse 10 again. Paul says, Because some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but his physical presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. Let such a person consider this. What we say by letters when we are absent, we also are in actions when we are present. You know what Paul's saying there? He says, yeah, you're right. Most of the time, I exhibit a meekness and a gentleness, but make no mistake about it. There is another side to Paul. And do you really want to see that side? Again, let's use Jesus as an example. Most of the time while Jesus was here on earth, he obviously was a very meek and gentle person in the way he interacted and dealt with people. But there were a few times where Jesus was pushed and he got pushed a little bit too far. And that other side of Jesus, that lion of the tribe of Judah, not the lamb, but the lion came out. Remember when he went into the temple and he had enough. He was tired 
of his father's house being used as a den of thieves and all the corruption and, and all of that taking place in God's name. And he went into the temple and he flipped over the money changers tables and he said, enough is enough. One other time I saw the other side of Jesus in the scriptures. And that was when the religious leaders who had constantly dogged him his entire earthly ministry, he finally said, I've had enough of your hypocrisy. And in Matthew 23, he just lets them have it. Paul's basically saying, guys, when I was with you, I was trying to be as kind and as gentle and as meek as I could be. But when I come back to Corinth, if I have to show my other side, I will. And I'll say this. And as I say this, please understand, my brothers and sisters in Christ, in no way am I comparing myself to the Apostle Paul. I'm simply saying by this, I have over the years of my ministry and my life tried to follow Paul's example. And I'll use this as an example. Probably most of you in this room have never seen Pastor Jeff really angry. And you don't want to either. (laughs) But that doesn't mean there's not that side of me that will come out when it needs to come out. That's what Paul's saying here. When he says to the Corinthians, what we say by letters when we are absent, we are also in actions when we are present. It's not that I'm being inconsistent. I am who I am. It's just I don't need to be that way unless I'm forced to be that way. But if you push me, you'll see that other side. You'll see that other side. All through this chapter, Paul is simply saying, using himself as an example, folks, Jesus Christ not only saved us, but has called us to serve. And if you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are going to serve our Lord Jesus Christ, we will be judged, we will be criticized. So if you and I are truly not secure, like Paul, in our identity in Jesus Christ, we will never put ourselves out there to serve as God created us to. Because faulty thinking and faulty reasoning, we will think, if I don't make myself vulnerable, if I don't put myself out there, if I don't do anything, then I also can't be criticized or judged for anything. Wrong. You'll be criticized and judged for doing nothing. So Paul is basically using his own life and ministry to say, I had to get to a place in my life where I didn't listen to all the voices. Where I primarily locked in to the voice of my Lord Jesus Christ and simply chose to follow him. And if there were those that embraced my ministry and welcomed me and and allowed me to be a part of their life so that I could bless them, and benefit them spiritually and build them up, that was great. But if there were those others 
that chose to disregard me and dismiss me because I didn't have the personality that other leaders had and other ministers had. And I didn't have the dynamic, you know, uh, speaking ability that other people had. And so they just sort of cast me aside or I didn't do things their way, the way they thought I should be doing them. Then Paul said, so be it. That's not on me. That's on them. Because I know who God made me to be. I know who God wants me to be. And Paul wants each of us as Christians to get to that place or else we will never truly learn to be a servant of Jesus Christ. You know I stick to the Bible 99 and 9 tenths percent of the time. But every once in a while, there's a a message given that I just, I love what is said and I want to share it with you again. And this isn't the first time I've used this quote. It's from one of my favorite presidents in U.S. history, a guy by the name of Theodore Roosevelt. Some of you have maybe heard his speech that he gave in 1911 over in Paris, France. And part of that speech is what is called the man in the arena. We could say the woman in the arena as well. And I want you to listen to what President Roosevelt said back in 1911. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man or woman who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself or herself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if or he or she fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his or her place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory or defeat. Can I say, I believe there are way too many cold and timid souls in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Way too many Christians across the board who are not serving the Lord as they were created to serve, as they were fashioned to serve, not serving the Lord the way they were called to serve because they've never come to a place in their life in their spiritual growth with God and in their personal relationship with Him where they were truly secure and settled in their identity in Him. They're still looking for who they are. And I think the plea today from God to His people is come to a place in your life, even maybe starting today, where you and I can truly be settled and secure in who we are in Jesus Christ and who God made us to be. 
Because if not, we will be beholden to every other person and every other situation out there. We will always be trying to run this direction and that direction, trying to please this person and that person, and we'll never please anybody. We need to be like Paul, who in spite of the criticisms and the judgments of others, said, this is who I am. And if you don't accept me, if you don't like my ministry or whatever, that's between you and the Lord. But I'm going to be who God created me to be. I'm going to be who God called me to be. And I believe that the reason why God has even timed this message for this particular time in our church's history is you and I are getting ready as a community of believers to again be placed in a position where we're going to have a higher profile in this arena. And he's saying to all of us, I need you to find your security and your your settledness in me. Because guess what? As much as there were people that in these eight and a half years since we've been here who have come in and tried to tell us you should be doing this and you should be doing that and, and shouldn't the church go this way or that way, that we've always had to come back and say, that's great, but this is who we are. This is who God wants us to be. And that's going to be even more important as we move ahead. Because for those of you that take any kind of leadership or service in this church, you're going to have even more people come through those doors trying to tell you how to do your ministry, just like they tell me how to do my ministry. And unless you and I are settled in who God created us to be, We will either not serve at all or we won't serve for long because the voices will get to us and we'll retreat back into our shell. Don't let the enemy have his day today, my friends. I love you. I want each and every one of you to step up and stand up like never before. And I want you to be confident, not in and of ourselves, but confident in the Lord and who God made you to be. And I want you more than ever before to be settled and secure in your personal identity in Jesus Christ. He took time. He took time to create you. He didn't rush through creating you. He took nine months. You know, some people, why nine months for a human baby and, you know, all of that to be... Did you ever think that maybe God wanted to take his time? He doesn't want to rush through the process even in creating you the way he did. He wants you to know that's how special you are and how special you are to him and that he took all that time just for you. And because of that, God now wants you to know him in such a personal way that you can be secure and settled in who he created you to be. Let's stand and let's pray. God, I believe today you are calling servants out. But God, in order for us to accept that call, we've also got to be secure and settled in our personal identity with you. And so, God, I pray today that during these few minutes we have left, that, God, your spirit will do what only your spirit can do. 
And that there will be many, many people, maybe even in this auditorium, that their heart will just settle down and be settled and secure in you and who you made them to be and who you've called them to be. Just like Paul had to learn in his own ministry and in his own life. God, use this time to solidify your people, to make us firm, to stand up against all the judgments and criticisms and the voices that are going to come into our life, throughout our life. And help us to be strong in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.